Real Fun DC. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Hey everybody, it's Nikki Nellis and welcome to a, another episode of Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I want to thank you so much for joining me. It is, uh, we do record in advance, so it is a really dismal, icy, gross day outside, but it doesn't mean we can't enjoy what's going to be going on in the future. So if you don't know me, I always like to introduce myself a little bit. I have been covering the DC food and wine scene for the last 18 years. Uh, I have a terrific website called the list. Are you on We cover every food and wine event happening in the DC metro area. And yes, there are lots of food and wine events happening in the DC metro area every single day, not just Valentine's Day, not just Super Bowl, like every day there's something amazing happening, uh, whether it's virtual or now in person, there are so many ways uh, to support our fantastic industry. You may have heard me over the last 12 years on Foodie and the Beast with my husband, David, on 1500 AM or on WTOP radio, where I regularly do updates and uh, keep people posted on what's happening in the restaurant world. You should certainly follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest and greatest on what I'm eating and what you should be eating as well. And if you're looking for pandemic pop-ups, because there's a lot of them, I suggest you check out the list or you want us.com. We have a list of every single one that's open and we keep that list updated daily. Same thing, bountiful brunches and breakfasts. I don't know what's going on out there, but everybody wants cheesy, eggy deliciousness. So we have a new list of all the delicious ways you can kick off your morning. And lastly, outdoor dining. It's here for good, not just in spring and summer and fall anymore. It's year round. And so many people have done such amazing, amazing things to make your dining pleasurable and comfortable even in icy, disgusting, terrible weather. So uh, with that, like I do on every show, I'd like to ask all of you to please support local retail and restaurants, whether you buy gift cards, arrange neighborhood drops, whatever it is you can do to remind those around you that supporting those businesses are going to be absolutely necessary because we want them there when we find our new normal. So with that, on today's show, Kathy Hollinger of the Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington, Washington joins us once again for her regular pandemic updates uh, for those of us in the industry and for consumers as well. And then later I'll be talking about the rapid changes in food tech and third-party delivery with Adam Fry of DC to GoGo. So Kathy, unmute yourself, come on. Hi there, how are you? Hi there, how are you? Good, so Kathy, um, you know, if you're part of the industry multiple times a week since the pandemic, you, your office sends out an email with updates and I, it's always fascinating and uh, heartwarming to see the work your team does because you have it all there for the entire restaurant industry to, there's no, you know, if anybody has a question, it's in there. So let's talk about the latest one that's that's out. So restaurants are at 25%? Yes, they are at 20, 25% DC and Maryland. DC and Maryland. And what are they in, in Northern Virginia? So Virginia, Northern Virginia is more about social distancing. So there is not necessarily occupancy on the dining part of it. It's the ability to be able to dine with social distancing 
measures in place. So depending on the footprint of the restaurant, they have much more flexibility because they have mm. more space in Northern Virginia than we do in DC um, and even Maryland. Yeah, because all those buildings are new, right? I mean, if you think about it, it's all new. It's almost all new construction. Right. So what does 25% look like, like for the consumer and for the restaurant? I mean, who, what does, what does that even mean? Well, you know, typically you're still, if you are interested as a consumer to go into a restaurant, it is encouraged that you make that reservation because 25% occupancy, I mean, that fills up pretty quickly. So mm -hmm. if you are a consumer who likes to dine inside, you should have a plan. Like everything in 2020 and early 2021 is about having your plan, whether it's your right. vaccine plan, your voting plan, your it's the same thing with dining. You have to have a plan. For the operator, I will say that it's just not easy. 25% occupancy means finding the magic number of how many staff you should really have, um, what kind of menu are you offering. But the reality is that it's a step forward and restaurants want to be able to offer indoor dining, particularly in the wintertime when you can't just eat outside. Well, and I think you bring up a really interesting point that maybe the layperson does not consider. When you say 25% occupancy, that's not just people coming in and sitting at tables. That's everybody in the restaurant, including people in the back of the house and people in the front of the house, the people who are waiting on you as well. Yeah. So I, I, people just need to take all of that into consideration. You know, if you're not a part of the business, you don't, you don't know. Yeah. And I will also say that, you know, wherever there is vagueness and guidelines, use that to your advantage in terms of thinking about how to make sure that your business can sustain such a modest occupancy level, because there have been arguments on both sides. Does it include mm -hmm. your team? Does it not include your team? Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you look at a pie, 25% of a pie. It's just not much. Right. 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 Does everybody it's... want that one slice and how is that sliced up? So it's a challenge, but I, again, in the spirit of being hopeful, it steps forward and I just hope we continue taking them. I, I do too. Um, okay. So let's talk about vaccine status and what that means for those in the industry, because there's a big call that people who work in the restaurant industry should get back. I mean, they no should be doubt. vaccinated. No doubt. I would say that, you know, Nikki, every, um, you know, every week when asked like, what are the priorities of that day or the moment we have consistently in the last couple of weeks been rooted in more relief, more relief, more relief and vaccination. Those two things, of course, reopening beyond the 25% occupancy, serving beyond the 10 p.m. Those are, those are big priorities as well, but our industry has to get vaccinated. And anyone and everyone who touches the food service industry, they have to be prioritized. So tonight, for example, in Washington, D.C., the system goes live for people to be able to make appointments based on priority zip codes, all right? Okay. So they're, and, and everything that they're doing in DC, and I believe around the region, but in DC, they're looking through the lens of equity. And I completely understand that. Um, and, I, and I applaud that effort. I mean, uh, one, it's really, really important. 1000%, anything, mm -hmm. we do, anything we're doing, we should be thinking and looking through that lens. But mm -hmm. what I will say right now is that the people that could register to get an appointment, whether it's tonight, depending on where they live or tomorrow, 
it is really people who are in food packaging, people who are in grocery stores or markets or bodegas, mm -hmm. and um, people in food agriculture. Now, the interesting nuance is that a lot of our folks in 2020, as they, re as they pivoted and right. reimagined, there are elements of their business that could fall into those categories. Again, hopefully we will get more guidance, but what I would encourage every single employee or operator is if you are in the district and you have a component of that particular category, you should consider your employees that are interfacing with that service and get mm -hmm. them registered. And the other thing I'll say is this, we're encouraging people the same way with relief. When there was a little relief here, a little relief there, all these different buckets, go after everything in every possible way you can. So as an employee, go to every possible link and register. And then your employer will also offer resources and insight into how you should register. But if you know something or are aware of something, act on it because we have to get vaccinated to be able to move forward, period. Sorry, I'm clapping my hands. That probably- No, no, no. I, I mean, audio. you already know how I feel about this. Like, yes. I, I, you know, if the opportunity arises and I want equity, I want everybody, I want access for everyone. But if you have an opportunity, you do not say no. Take it, put it in your arm because you don't want it going to waste. So I, I, I support your call 100%. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, if somebody is walking down the street screaming, I got vaccines, I'm jumping out of my house and getting one. <laughs> I mean, I have become less phobic of needles as I get older, obviously. Absolutely. And you're picking me up on the way so I can go to. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. So really quickly, um, I want to talk about the tipped wage conversation because yes. we discussed it a little bit last time, but with the Biden plan, um, you know, there's, it, there, it just seems the conversation is getting louder and louder. And when it, with initiative 77, there was a, this is it. We don't want it. We don't want anything to do with it. It doesn't work. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Now with the conversation about uh, wage increases and like, it's, it's getting a little murky. So what is it? Where do we stand now? I think for both the industry and the consumer, we want to be informed about it. Yes. Uh, I have so many thoughts, so I'm going to try to be concise here. But let me say this. There are two different issues, as we know. There's the national minimum wage discussion that is happening, where DC, we are so far ahead of that discussion. Right. We've done it. We've tackled it. We supported it. And it was all about raising the wage, which we as a city should feel very good about that we are a leading city in that area. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy for a business owner, but it is what it is. So mm -hmm. there's that discussion where most of the country is half of what our minimum wage is. So their considerations are very complex and challenging. The second part of the conversation is elimination of tip credit, which is much more complex. What model do you as a business owner use for wage with your employees, making sure you're in compliance, making sure you are legal and lawful, but what works? Then there's the third part of this, which is timing. Right now, my thinking is anything and everything that is posed as a mandate for a small business, can we just pause on any mandates and allow the restaurant owner and operator to make a decision based on how they're resetting their business. Yeah. We have operations that went from 30 employees to three, 
Can right. we wait till they get to 10 to talk about compensation models? And I say that to say that, yes, 77 was very loaded in DC. 98% of the restaurant owners and the employees who worked for those restaurant owners were absolutely against 77. Today, mm -hmm. as we ask our people, where are you? This may be revisited, although it's national. What do you think? The response has been, why are we talking about this right now? Can we mm. get above 25% occupancy before we're having a conversation on how to control our operations? So I will say there's much more to come, Nick, on this issue. You mm -hmm. know that I'm very passionate for whatever the industry wants us to do whether it's moving forward proactively or against. But right now, what I am urging is that leaders across the country are allowing the autonomy to sit with the business owner to make decisions that are in the best interest of their business and their employees. Well, I think that's, um, that is a fair call that uh, we're just, the industry is not in a place to be thinking about that and it, it, we're already in a crippling situation so i mean i do believe and i'm sure you agree that we are at this point with the restaurant industry and when we were we do get to a new normal after all this conversations the last year about building back better not to take from biden but for the restaurant industry specifically do we take that chance? Who is the leader in that? You know, do we take the chance? And listen, restaurants comes in all shapes and sizes. You got the little ones, you got the big ones. I mean, it's not a one size fits all thing, but who does take that charge to help the restaurant industry build back in a way that, you know, that is better, that, that provides, we know that it is a, a, a career choice that can be incredibly successful for most of the people who participate in it, but it's a house of cards if it works in its previous way. No doubt about it. And I will tell you that in April, May, June, we had a lot of conversation as an industry about the silver lining of being able to reset in many, many ways, whether mm -hmm. it's more inclusively, whether it's having a different voice around the table as many decisions are being considered. And I agree with you, Nikki. I mean, it's an interesting intersection of resetting and rebuilding, but being mindful that there are a lot of people we need to bring along just to be able to do it in a way where they're going to be able to compete successfully. Right. No, that makes sense. Um, and I'd love to have a longer conversation about that. Okay, everybody, Kathy Hollinger. Kathy, tell people where they can find you, uh, RAMW online, to stay up to date on everything you're doing. Yes, yeah, so I would say um, every anything and everything is on ramw.org. We have a blog that has all of our resources, particularly timely relevant links for vaccinations, whether you're in DC, Maryland, or Virginia, the category, um, when you can sign up, how you can pre-register. So all is there. And of course, any additional questions can be just a phone call to our organization. Excellent. Okay. Kathy Hollinger of Restaurant Association of Metropolitan Washington, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, and we are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about DC to go, go and third party aggregators with Adam Fry. We'll be back in just a sec. It's Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. 
Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC. Did you know you can ask Alexa to hear Real Fun DC? You can just say, hey, Alexa, turn on Real Fun DC. And you can ask to hear me, Nikki Nellis on Industry Night. So uh, that was an amazing conversation with Kathy Hollinger. She always brings such incredible information to the table. And I appreciate her partnership with us by coming on twice a month to keep us posted on what's happening in the industry. And as I said in the beginning of the show, um, you know, pre-pandemic, the rise of tech in the food industry was everywhere. Um, you know, many of us were already accustomed to placing food orders online uh, through third-party aggregators. Um, but with the pandemic, lots of restaurants all of a sudden had to all of a sudden start using these third parties and create totally new menus and totally new concepts. I mean, if you're a regular listener to the show, you know that we've had chefs and restaurateurs from all over the country talk about their uh, pivoting or swiveling, whatever you want to call it these days. Um, and it's been tough. So, but we haven't really talked about third party and what it means. And I'm really excited to have Adam Fry with us. Adam, uh, joined us on Foodie and the Beast uh, back in the early days of the pandemic when he launched DC to Go Go, and it's really grown. Um, and he's originally a part of Ivy and Coney, which is a great bar downtown. So, Adam, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Nikki. So, Adam, let's talk about you a little bit. Ivy and Coney, your partners, like, let's talk about your business first. Because I think that's a real foundation to how you got to where you are today. Yeah, it is. And to your point, I mean, we actually were not participating with a lot of third-party delivery for the bulk of our tenure. So Ivy and Coney has been around for about seven and a half years now. And for the first six years, we were not doing any delivery. And so like many people, and I think like most probably consumers, I did not know a lot of the ins and outs or the details of how a lot of these third-party apps functioned and kind of, mm -hmm. you know, uh, there's that sort of obvious benefit of, isn't it great to be able to provide your food to customers anywhere, kind of anytime. And from a consumer standpoint, it's awesome to be able to not have to leave my house on a day like today. Right, <laughs> um, right. But we actually, at Ivy and Coney, we started engaging with it a little bit just as an additional revenue stream. I think like a lot of other restaurants start getting into third-party delivery, whether it be unfortunate or fortunate for our timing, the pandemic hit right as we were starting to see some volume, mm -hmm. which illuminated for us a lot of the problems that I don't know that we would have necessarily seen otherwise. And, you know, that I think have also been illuminated by a number of other restaurants, hence a lot of the media around third-party delivery. Well, well, let's start with your experience because, you know, so you were just getting into it because I think your experience has brought you where you are, right? So Definitely. you uh, were just getting into it. So for like, let's remember that lots of people, you know, order off Uber Eats and think, hey, I mean, I am supporting restaurants. Aren't I doing a good job? Like, don't, they don't know. And we're in a bubble, you and I, right? <laughs> we read all that media. We know what the problems are, but you know, if I asked my neighbor next door, he wouldn't know. So what was it that you found when you started working with third-party delivery? And when I say third-party delivery, I just want to be clear to everybody. We're talking, and we're not slamming them. We're just telling you. DoorDash, Postmates, 
Uber Eats, Caviar. Um, some of them have commingled at this point. Um, so these are these third party. Most of you use them in some capacity at this time um, as, as uh, diners uh, to bring food to you. Uh, but for restaurants, it is a different experience. So Adam, let's talk about what your experience was. So from, from our experience going into it, at first, it was kind of a nice, nice additional revenue stream. We, so Ivan Coney is a very sports divey bar. It's a hangout place. It's not mm -hmm. a restaurant per se. Which is why you didn't need a third party service. Yeah, exactly. I mean, exactly. and you couldn't deliver alcohol, right? I mean, couldn't you know, everything's alcohol. changed. And no one, no one was coming to our restaurant for the food. I mean, maybe some people were, but you know, we weren't on any Zagat list or any Michelin list or anything like that. So there wasn't no bit, no bit, no bib gourmand for you. <laughs> <laughs> we can only dream someday. Okay. The great sandwich that is a hot dog that you know maybe it'll yeah. get the bib, but. For us, it was just sort of a, an additional little bit of revenue here and there. People who maybe couldn't make it out to the restaurant on a weekend or if we were too busy or whatever reason, it was actually really beneficial from that standpoint. And, you know, I, I understand why those businesses have been as successful as they have. I understand why there's such a drive and such a desire to be able to partner with one of those companies to deliver to your customers. It, it allows you to expand your outreach, right? At Ivy and Coney, we know, and I'm sure many other restaurant owners know where their customers come from. We know that most of our customers come from within about half a mile to a mile of our restaurant. And so by nature of being able to partner with one of these third parties, we now have expanded our reach to two miles, three miles, however far they're willing to deliver and however far our food is able to travel. Mm -hmm. um, and so from that standpoint, it was, it was easy. Um, and I think lots of restaurant owners, us ourselves in particular, in this case, like that idea of easy additional revenue, running a restaurant sure. is hard. It's a lot of hours. It's always on. So anytime you have an opportunity to kind of capture more sales and our profit margins are razor thin as it is. So mm -hmm there's very little analysis into, okay, how much are we actually making from this versus how can this help our overall revenue with a low lift? And that's, that's a great service that these companies offer. Um, right. So when you were killing it on Saturday nights, right. Because people yeah. could come in, um, cause it's a great area bar, right? Like you're not expecting me to drive down from Kensington to come to Ivy and Coney, although I have been there, but like you're, you're a neighborhood bar, right? Like you're a place that, especially people in the industry, like my son, Sam, who works at um, All Purpose, like, you know, he would go and hang out at your bar. Like that's, it's an industry bar and it's also, um, you know, for people, for your neighborhood. And that's what it's supposed to be. And that's why it's so successful, right? Exactly. So you, but so now the pandemic hits, you can't fill it. 25% capacity is BS. And um, I mean, for you, I would assume. <laughs> um, but uh, so now you have to look at these third parties and say, okay, um, they're taking an awful lot of money, right? Like, how do I work with them? And who are these people who are delivering? Like, I think all of a sudden the questions become a lot sharper. Yeah, I think the questions become sharper. And what I'll also say is 
all of a sudden the focus shifted a little bit from the people who are managing and running these restaurants. And, you know, when we're staffing our restaurants, obviously everyone wants to have really great servers who provide excellent service, prompt service, who aren't overly involved with the restaurant's tables necessarily, even from Ivy and Coney's standpoint, who, you know, we're a bar. We, we don't actually have servers, we just have bartenders. But mm -hmm. we pay a lot of attention to making sure that our bartenders provide a really great atmosphere. And, and like you said, once that's taken away, well, then we're, we still have to focus on the revenue. And so we look to the only place where revenue is coming in, which it is through these third-party deliveries. And all mm -hmm. of a sudden we kind of go, okay, well, are they providing the service that we are known for? Are they mm -hmm. making sure that the product that gets out is the product that we want to be producing? And additionally, is it sustainable? I mean, we all, you know, not to circle back too much to Kathy's conversation about the tip credit, but restaurants operate in a certain way with a certain overhead. And now all of a sudden that's very, very different. Our right. labor force is different. We're, you know, paying a commission to the third party platforms in order mm -hmm. to get the food out there. And so the return on investment calculation kicks in. Whereas before it was, okay, great. It's less important to me who the couriers are or how hot the hot dog is when it gets there because it's not our sole source of revenue. But once it becomes it, then our restaurant brand becomes on it, right? Then all right. of a sudden these people are basically acting as advocates for us at Ivy and Coney or God forbid we were a Michelin restaurant, one of them. No, actually you bring up a good point. And, and, and I've discussed this obviously, like on everybody who comes on is in the industry. So, I mean, every week it's like, so how'd you change your menu? You know, like some people really fought it. You know, I, early on there were people like, well, I mean, I, you know, I just cook what I cook and I put in the box. And I think a lot of people learned pretty quickly, like you said about the heat of your hot dog, for example, yeah, like I they mean, learned pretty quickly that they had to change what you got at the restaurant couldn't necessarily translate to a delivery mode. Completely. Within a week or two, we had to, I mean, thankfully, so we are a Chicago and Detroit restaurant for anyone who hasn't been to Ivy and Coney. Mm -hmm. Both of those are fortunately for us famous for pizza and pizza famously travels really well. And oh so, my God, everybody and their brother wants to make pizza right now. I mean, come on. Exactly. Within a <laughs> week, we were like, okay, how do we scale a pizza operation? Because right. whether your hot dog gets there, you know, blazingly hot or cold, how many people really want to order delivery hot dogs versus a delivery pizza? Right. And so, you know, and, and like you just said, that translates to fine dining. I, I can't imagine what that conversation would have looked like in the kitchen of the masarias or the tail of goats where, you know, plating is such a significant part and the freshness of the food is such a significant part of the dining experience that, mm -hmm. well, you're just not going to get that delivery. The, no, and nor should you, ex and not only that, you shouldn't expect it. I, exactly. I think, I think the biggest, and I want to get into why you launched DC to go, go, but I think one of the biggest uh, misses in communication, and I mean this in writing, radio, etc., is uh, setting expectations for diners. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So that people know when they order delivery, that it's not like the sweet green salad or just the pizza, 
that you're used to ordering or, you know, Thai food or food that, that travels easy, travels easy. But if you're going to order from, a, you know, more high-end restaurants that have now taken on this mode for as a source of revenue because they have to, you know, you are going to have to turn on your oven and you are going to have to plate it yourself and you are going to have to make the meal. You're, there's, you're, there, it's a participatory process. It, it is. It's, it's inclusive. It's, it mm -hmm. becomes, you know, it's, it's restaurants that try to provide an experience. And that is mm -hmm. whether you're a, a bar like Ivy and Coney or someone like Boundary Stone even, or mm. if you're a fine dining restaurant, you're going there for the atmosphere and for that sort of, whether it's a conversation or not, that dialogue with the restaurant. And mm -hmm. when you're getting delivery from these places, you have to consider that as well. Let's, I mean, I think of some of my favorite pizza in the city and even all of that doesn't necessarily travel well because a pizza that comes fresh out of a brick oven, once it sits in a box in a car for even 20 or 30 minutes, Mm -hmm. that's a different pizza than I would have gotten in there. And so, you know, it's, you're very right in the communication sort of collapse from, and I, I would say that this is on us as restaurants, as well mm -hmm. as, you know, on us as third-party delivery companies, because very few people are expressing the, the necessity of that, that collaborative nature of, you know, hey, if you're ordering Valentine's Day just happened. If you're ordering right. our prefix three course meal, you're going to have to do a little bit of work. Right, right. Okay, on that point, I want to take a quick break. And then when we come back, let's talk about why you launched DC to go go, how it differs from what's out there, and your expansion, because it's growing pretty quickly. Uh, this is Nikki Nellis. It's Industry Night on Real Fun DC. I'll be back in just a sec. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Thanks for listening to Real Fun DC. <sighs> Serving up thought for food. Now back to Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. And we're back on Industry Night with Nikki Nellis on Real Fun DC. I want to thank you all for joining us. Uh, I do want to remind you all to follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. I do uh, post a lot about what's happening, especially in the D.C. metro area, but I hit a couple national things now and then, uh, which I always enjoy sharing with everyone. So we are knee-deep in a conversation about third-party delivery with restaurants. I'm talking with Adam Fry. Adam... Uh, is partner in Ivy and Coney, but when the pandemic started and they really got into using third-party deliveries, uh, they decided to create their own. So Adam, how did that happen? Honestly, the, the, the number one reason why it happened was the profitability. Like we just sort of went into putting that magnifying glass on what became our only source of revenue, revealed a whole library of, of issues. And that's not to, again, I like you, I'm not going to slam any of these other delivery companies. They certainly provide a service, but it revealed to us that it wasn't sustainable as our only source of income. And mm -hmm. we looked at it and said, okay, we don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. Obviously we hope that it's shorter, but if we can address this problem in a way that is sustainable, how great would that be once we can get back to that place where restaurants don't have to rely on it as their sole source of revenue, right? What, mm -hmm. if, what if you can go back to focusing 
on your operation and staffing your own restaurant and not have to worry about getting raked through when you're delivering things or not have to worry about how good of quality your food is going to to have when it gets to gets to the consumer and so we looked at it from what if the delivery company were functioning like a restaurant you know what if our couriers were trained like servers and bartenders what if instead which of, by the way you also have a lot of servers and bartenders who need work we do and and you know another aspect of it uh, was from an ivy and coney standpoint like kathy mentioned we went from having over 20 employees down to exclusively owner operated and so right in an effort to try to hire back our employees try to employ people who you know industry professionals traditionally get hit some of the hardest when things like this happen we wanted to give them that opportunity to continue having income and so who better to deliver high quality food and to do it with care than people who do it as their full-time job already right and so the question then for us became how do we treat other restaurants food like our own food and and the answer was kind of easy which was treat them like your own restaurant you know right. it was put more attention on service and put more attention on supporting the restaurant who needs the revenue rather than exclusively saying we just want to be able to deliver as much food as possible to as many people as possible we do want to do that but i would rather deliver to fewer people a better product a better representation of the restaurant's food, right? If I'm ordering from one of our partners, Karma Modern Indian, I want to get the best possible food that I can. And we looked at it and said, okay, let's narrow some of the delivery radius. Let's focus on really making sure that the people in the community know about it because mm -hmm. it doesn't do anyone any good for us to market to you know Philadelphia or New York because they don't care about this restaurant. They're not gonna get delivered from this restaurant. And sure. marketing major brands, McDonald's, Wendy's, who have deals with some of these platforms, that's not- That's gonna, not your market. That's not that's what not you're doing. That's not our market. That's not gonna benefit right. the community. We, we want the tax dollars to stay in the community. We want the jobs to stay in the community. We want mm -hmm. the people who can't go to their local restaurants anymore because mm -hmm they can only see 25% of the people. We want those people to still be able to support their restaurants. So let's talk numbers, right? Because there was all this, you know, when the pandemic started, uh, third parties were taking 30% and then DC cut it down to 15%. But I mean, I don't know what any of that means. Like, I don't know how that relates to anybody. Um, I know it was a priority for the restaurants and I applaud, you know, DC getting involved. But how does that relate to you launching DC to go go? Yeah, so it relates a couple of ways. The first is obviously from the restaurant standpoint. And like I mentioned before, earlier we were able to look at it as just bonus revenue. And once we but once we had to look at it as our sole source of revenue, all of a sudden anything that came out of it, we were painstakingly aware of. And so mm -hmm. when the conversation around commission comes in, I think not only is there a complete lack of communication about it, but I think there's a lack of transparency about it from the companies to even the restaurants. So what happens is 
whenever anyone places an order on one of these apps, ours included, some sort of commission gets pulled out from the total that the restaurant is going to get. And that's largely because of some sort of marketing fee. Obviously, the idea behind the third-party delivery is that they will market for the restaurant and bring the restaurant additional revenue. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's sort of their cut of it. Where it started to get a lot of spotlight in DC within the restaurant owner community, you know, our bubble was those percentages are extremely high, especially for an industry that is notoriously thin margined. So mm-hmm. when people started looking at fees that were anywhere between, you know, as low as 20% and as high as 38%, I think is the highest I had heard of. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden it became apparent that oh, the restaurants actually aren't really making any money off of this because... Right, I mean, if you did the math, it doesn't make sense. I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, they I would mean, have to jack up their price. It doesn't make any sense. But exactly. you also wanted to pay your... But there's also the whole paying your drivers like a fair wage. I mean, the math, I suck at math, just heads up. But like, <laughs> and if I can figure out that the math doesn't work, then I mean, then it's incredibly apparent that it doesn't work right so how did you guys yeah. structure dc to go go to make it fair to restaurants fair to your drivers like how did you structure it honestly we looked at what numbers and we tested a lot of things we threw a lot of spaghetti against the wall it was mm-hmm. what numbers allow for the people who work at dc to go go to earn a wage and that goes for you know those of us who are working on development, those of us who are working on partnerships, and most importantly, the couriers who mm-hmm. are often overlooked. You know, the couriers are kind of the the back of house people of the delivery world. It's everyone knows that they're doing things, but no one wants to acknowledge somebody has to wash the dishes, right? Somebody but has we to, don't that's why you pay but, to be at a restaurant. <laughs> right. But somebody has to wash the dishes, but we don't meet the dishwasher. I mean now we barely meet the delivery service. They just drop it off, right? So it's this yeah. nameless, faceless experience. It just magically appears, but you know, um, they deserve to be paid, right? Yeah. For the service. So, yeah, so our equation was kind of what works for those people and what works for the restaurant. Because mm-hmm. what we learned from the restaurant standpoint is that if any one of these points falls apart, then the whole, industry starts to fall apart right if you can't pay Mm -hmm. your drivers then they become part of the mass of unemployed people and Mm -hmm. if you can't support your restaurants then they are going to close and it just becomes this snowball effect and so we looked at it and said okay well let's try using smaller numbers and let's see what we can do from there you know did some modeling and i'm not going to say that it's simple math necessarily but Mm -hmm we ended up realizing that as long as we didn't want to become millionaires or billionaires, which that's not to say that I don't want to be a millionaire or a billionaire. But you're not expecting it from this entity at the moment. I'm not expecting it from this entity. And that's not the goal of this entity. We didn't, if we had wanted to start this company to be millionaires, we would have done it five years ago or Mm -hmm. two years ago. Or you would have done a different company. Right. We saw a very real problem in our industry, and it was more important to us to solve that problem. And yeah. and that problem is how do you allow restaurants to 
build their revenue, expand their customer base while not driving them out of business. So, so the question could, is, because we have about 10 minutes left of the show and I want to really get to all this. How is DC to go go doing that? How is DC to go go? Because I consider DC to go go, like I think about um, open table and how it's mm -hmm. just this, like every restaurant has to have open table. It doesn't matter who else tries launching, you know, Resi, Reserve, City Eats. I mean, I could, you know, you know all of them. So my question yeah. is, is, how did you launch DC to go go? I know you're doing it by neighborhood. So how do how, how did you launch it? How are you getting restaurants to sign up with you? And how are you doing everything that you want to do? The biggest thing for how we launched it was we leveraged the just the very nature of the hospitality industry. We mm -hmm. were in a pretty, you know, Shaw's a, you and I know, Shaw's a bustling neighborhood. And mm -hmm. we've constantly asked neighbors for rags or for speed pours or, you know, do you have a good door person that you use? And those are conversations mm -hmm. that happen all the time. And so we figured, well, let's just have a different conversation. And it was, mm -hmm. Hey, do you guys want to help us get off the ground in a way that can actually support you? And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of restaurateurs like the idea. And so we were able to start just sort of by activating our Shaw neighborhood with restaurants, with local support, very grassroots. Mm -hmm. um, we, we never mince words and we never say that we are going to provide the same benefit necessarily that Uber does. And that's partially because we don't have a $30 billion valuation. Right. <laughs> um, right. And so that's, that's where we did it. And the way that we're trying to grow is rapidly, but with control. The thing that restaurants, that we found that restaurants want most of all right now is control. Mm -hmm. Everyone is pivoting and swiveling and, and turning and reacting and any chance you can get to kind of stand your ground and say, this is how we're going to do things for a while mm -hmm. is a relief. And so sure. we said, all right, well, let's give the restaurants the control and let's maintain control so that we are still providing a good quality product. Let's not mm -hmm. all of a sudden say, we're going to do all of DC because we wouldn't be able to follow through on that. And mm -hmm. so what we try to do is we have someone on our support chat all the time. We have someone making sure that our couriers are getting to the restaurants on time and to the customers on time. So in order to grow, all we thought of was how do we just make, put care into everything that we're doing? What if we did things the right way from the beginning instead of the money-making way from the beginning, right? Okay, so we how, right, so how do people use it? Like, that's my question. So like, for the person who's like, listen, I go onto Uber Eats and I put in pizza and I wait for something to pop up. That's not our, the audience for DC to go, go, because I think, wouldn't it be more that I would go to one of your partners and if I went to their website, it would say order here on DC to go, go, like how, how do you get it out so that people know to order through DC to go, go? You could actually do it both ways. So we do, we do have an app on mm -hmm. both Apple and Android. And so you could jump on the app and say, I want pizza. We have a number of partners who have pizza. We have 
this year alone, you mentioned our growth. Thank you. Um, mm-hmm. We were up to almost a hundred partners on the on the site. So you can go to the website. You can go to the app. You can download it from the Apple Store or the Play Store, just like any of the other platforms. Mm-hmm. And so where it works is whether you're someone who is in the bubble that we have, where you are concerned about the socially conscious aspect of ordering, you can find us and pick your restaurant. I can go in and make sure that I'm choosing a restaurant in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. If you're not someone who you know, is involved in that or necessarily wants to be part of the foodie industry, mm-hmm. you can still go on, you can still order any of the food that you want. It'll get there in the same amount of time, probably even faster, but what you know when you do that is just that the restaurant gets to keep more of it. So basically what we are building towards is don't pay us to do it, pay the restaurant. They're the ones making the food. Right. We're just taking it to you. Mm -hmm. So it's like an extra delivery fee. So now you guys started in the Sean neighborhood and now you're expanding to Brooklyn and Cap Hill? Yep, we just moved in February. We just finished expanding to Brooklyn and Capitol Hill, a little Mm -hmm. bit over closer to Southwest as well, which is next in our line of sight. Like Navy Yard? Navy Yard, Waterfront, uh, The Wharf. There are a lot of great Mm -hmm. restaurants over there. And one of our big things, one of my personal big goals is we're gonna try to get east of the river before the midway point in the year. It's, I mean, from a business standpoint, it makes sense. And I always have struggle with why other companies resist investing in that area because there are people who are traditionally and consistently underserved. And mm-hmm. so that's one of our big, big targets. But when best- you say that, are you talking about, I think one of the things we, we haven't really touched on. So if I'm ordering from DC, if I live in Sean, I'm ordering from DC to go-go, can I order from Capitol Hill or can I only order from uh, Shaw? You can order from Capitol Hill. So Okay. I just didn't know what the parameters were. Yeah. Different restaurants have some slightly different delivery zones. And part of that is, you know, it goes back to that quality conversation, but there's no parameter on where you can order. You might not be able to get certain delivery options if you're too far away, mm-hmm. but pickup is also always available. We try to offer- And so I can do that through you. I can go to DC to go, go and do pickup? Yep. Oh, okay. That's good to know. I didn't know that. Yeah. Because I think there's lots of people in the suburbs who get what you're doing and applaud it. But like I go down into the city to pick up because nobody's delivering out to me. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We we have pickup and delivery options. Um, You know, from the customer standpoint, your experience is going to be pretty much the same as if you were to use Uber Eats or Grubhub or anything like that. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. With maybe the difference, I don't think you can order pickup on some of those apps, but right. that was one of the pivotal things that made us want to start the company was because all of these restaurants started doing pickup and everyone and their brother was asking, oh, where can I get pickup? Where can I support my restaurants? Well, now they're all in a central marketplace. If you're Mm -hmm. in DC or if you want to support DC restaurants, then you just have to go to DC to go-go, either the website or the app, and 
all of the partners, whether it's pickup, delivery, or both, are there. Is there anything that we're sort of missing that we, we should let the general public know about DC to go go so that they understand how to use it, where to use it, and what they can look forward to in the future? I would say the best thing to let the public know about DC to go go is go download the app, take a look through it. Even if you don't see something that you want right now, we're adding dozens of restaurants constantly. So it will show up eventually. Where we're going in the future, we wanna cover all of DC by the end of the year. That's our number one goal. We wanna cover wards seven and eight in DC. And then once we have DC covered, we wanna meet our neighbors, you know? Like you said, you live just outside of DC. We wanna be able to deliver to you also because mm -hmm. you and your neighbors who may not be in our food bubble still wanna support those restaurants, still are missing out on those restaurant experiences. So the number one thing is go download the app and take a look at what we have to offer. Keep coming back. We're gonna offer your favorite pretty soon. Excellent. All right, tell everybody where they can find DC to go go, please. You can find us in the Apple Store or the Google Play Store. DC to go go, it's an app, or you can find us at dctogogo.com. And that's D-C-T-O-G-O-G-O. Excellent. I love it. All right, Adam Fry, thank you so much for joining me today. Well, that was really a terrific conversation with Adam Fry of DC to go go about third party delivery systems and how you should be thinking about them and using them in the DC metro area and beyond, especially when it comes to ordering because uh, restaurants, as we say almost every show, have razor thin margins and we want our delivery people to make a living wage. So I love people who have thought outside of the box during this pandemic and have put together uh, concepts that um, are not only surviving, but thriving. So please check them out, DC to go go. Also thanks again to Kathy Hollinger, who is always a fountain of information of what is happening in the DC metro area, specifically in the hospitality scene. I want to thank you all for joining me again today on Industry Night on Real Fun DC. Um, please remember Nikki Nellis, N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Don't forget to check out the list, areyouonit.com, for everything happening in the DC metro area, especially if you're looking for amazing brunches and breakfasts and outdoor dining because it's year round now, no matter how cold it is. So I do wanna remind everybody to please mask up, dip your body in hand sanitizer and please be safe and well out there. We'll see you next week. Industry Night with Nikki Nellis. Real Fun DC.